Hello and welcome to Homestead Hens and Honey, a beekeeping, chicken keeping and general homesteading podcast. I'm your host, Gemma, and today I'm going to talk about frostbite and chickens, what causes it, how we can prevent it and how we treat it. Now, before I get to the main topic, I wanted to give a quick update on my kitty friend who I introduced in my last episode. My little golden-eyed mama cat has been coming by every day that it's not raining or snowing, and I've been offering her wet food and some dry food as well as fresh water. Occasionally, I have tried to get her used to my touch, but she clearly hates it, so I've kept it light, maybe just gently petting her back once every few days with no real results. She obviously just doesn't like it. Well, this week she shocked me because she started rubbing her face against my hands when I went to feed her. So I gave her little scritchies on her chin And she loved it and she was purring. And now every time I put food down for her, she rubs up against me and she purrs and she chirrups and she's just like a happy baby. (laughs) So I'm very, very pleased. This is excellent progress. I also think technically this is my cat now, right? Like (laughs) I feed her every day. I look out for her every day. I am probably going to put a new little house out there for her. I don't know if she will move into it. Previous attempts have failed, but maybe now she would. But I'm considering her my kitty and I'm trying to be responsible for her. And as I mentioned before, she has a notched ear, so she's spayed. I don't have to worry about her being pregnant again. And I can just sort of enjoy having her hang around the homestead. Uh, I also wanted to do just a quick chicken update. I mentioned in a previous episode that I moved the baby Orpingtons, which are now full grown, into their own coop for a while because the small coop was getting way too cramped with the frizzle mamas and then the two bantams. And it's really funny because since I moved them into their own coop, Litha, who's my big red one, Uh, decided that she's no longer afraid of me. So she used to look at me like I was the devil and give me the crazy eye and wanted nothing to do with me, would run away. It was absolutely ridiculous. Now, the minute she sees me coming, she starts pressing up against the little run door and hollering at me. And then she started jumping up and down at the door, pecking at it to get me to hurry up and feed her which is something that Mama Petal does. And it's really funny that she's picked this up. Petal didn't raise Litha. Litha was raised by Dahlia, but Dahlia's decided, or sorry, Litha has decided that she's going to follow in Petal's footsteps and jump up and down when she sees me. It's really funny. And I can now like pet her and, um, you know, give her some scratches and all that kind of stuff. Um, She kind of annoyingly will peck at me and try and knock food out of my hands. So we're working a little bit on her being a bit more polite because as funny as it is, I do try to discourage that kind of rude behavior. Meanwhile, her sister, Maybon, is not having any of it. She doesn't trust me. She has never trusted me. And it's looking very likely that she never will trust me. (laughs) So 
we shall see. But hopefully I will win that one over very soon. Okay, on to the main topic of frostbite. References that I used for this episode include Wikipedia, the Mayo Clinic, and as always, the Chicken Health Handbook by Gail Damaro, which I reference all the time. I do consider it the most important book in my chicken book arsenal, and I recommend everyone go out and purchase it. So if you follow me on Instagram, you would have seen that we had this crazy storm blow through right before Christmas. And although there wasn't much snow predicted, there were warnings that the winds were going to be at a very high rate of speed and causing a wind chill between minus 30 and minus 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And I was really, really worried about the chickens during this time. So for the the time that it lasted, which I think was four days, I was out two to three times a day to offer scratch grain and oats, which are good warming carbohydrates, and to make sure that their water, which isn't heated buckets, but it was so cold that the very top of it was starting to ice over. So I'd make sure I'd break any ice and also just check on them, you know, make sure no one was showing signs of distress. And during one of my earliest checks, I felt that my white leghorn cracker was looking kind of dumpy. So I scooped her up, which in itself was a sign that she wasn't feeling great because she's usually very quick and doesn't like to be touched. And she was clearly lethargic. She had that shocky look in her eye that I've come to recognize in chickens that are in a lot of pain. And her body just felt cooler to the touch than it should have. So I pulled her from the coop and I noticed that her comb and her wattles were massively swollen. So I knew that we were dealing with frostbite. I brought her in, I set up my little chicken hospital, and then I took a moment to remind myself about frostbite treatment while she was warming up. And that's what brought me eventually to this episode. First things first, what is frostbite? So frostbite is a condition in which the skin and sometimes even the tissue beneath the skin freezes. This condition can occur whenever temperatures fall below 31 degrees Fahrenheit or minus 0.55 Celsius. It can affect any part of the body, but the extremities are most likely to be affected. So that's hands, feet, ears, nose and lips in people comb, wattles and toes in our chickens. When the temperature is zero degrees Fahrenheit or below, it takes around 30 minutes for exposed skin to suffer frostbite. At minus 15, one five degrees Fahrenheit, with even a light wind, frostbite can occur within just 15 minutes, one five, 15 minutes. The mechanism behind frostbite is as follows. Cold temperatures lead to vasoconstriction, which is the narrowing of the blood vessels. And this in turn reduces blood flow to the tissues of the affected area. With limited to no blood flow, tissue death begins to occur. At temperatures at or below minus 9 Fahrenheit or minus 23 Celsius, 
ice crystals begin to form within the tissues, which causes damage at a cellular level. So frostbite is a one-two punch of lack of adequate blood flow to the limbs and tissues and eventually direct cell damage due to ice crystals forming inside your very cells. The severity of frostbite is often categorised as superficial, which is first and second degree, and is also known as frostnip, which is a rather adorable way of putting it, frostnip, or deep. Um, And deep is third and fourth degree frostbite, and that's very serious. It involves underlying tissues. It often involves nerve damage. So frostbite in our chickens, what causes that? Number one would be cold temperatures, but it's not just about the cold. It's about cold temps combined with damp and drafty conditions. Large combs and wattles are the most vulnerable to frostbite, And toes can be affected, but this is less common as a properly constructed roost allows chickens to sit and cover their feet completely, keeping them warm. So toes is less likely to be seen, thankfully, because it's toes are much harder to treat than the comb and the wattles. Speaking of treatment, what do we do? So let's say that you see evidence of frostbite on a chicken. How can you treat it? The number one thing to remember is never to rub the affected area. This is a common mistake that people make. Um, I think it's because we're so used to rubbing our hands together when they're cold. But if you rub the tissue like this, you're only going to increase the damage. And also, just as vitally, you're going to be massively increasing your chicken's pain. It's also very important to be aware that symptoms might appear to worsen during the initial treatment. This is because rewarming frozen tissue inevitably leads to unavoidable tissue damage through reperfusion injury. And reperfusion is just when the blood returns to the area. And reperfusion injury involves things like vasodilation, swelling and edema and poor blood flow. Something called platelet aggregation can also cause injury during the rewarming process. And this is when platelets move to an area in response to a bleed or a blood vessel injury. As these platelets gather, aka aggregate, in the area of injury, they form a blood clot. And these blood clots can cause further damage to surrounding tissues by limiting blood supply to an affected area. Blisters and spasms of blood vessels can also occur during rewarming, which can be intensely painful for the chicken. So all this is just to say, don't be alarmed if early on in treatment, symptoms seem to worsen or even your chicken seems to be struggling more with pain during the first, let's say, six to 24 hours as rewarming occurs. So in this hypothetical, we found a chicken and this chicken has a frozen comb or wattles. If you find them with the frozen tissues, you can thaw the area by gently applying a warm, damp cloth for 15 minutes, rewarming the cloth as needed. For frozen toes and feet, you can use a warm water bath and the temperature of the bath should be around 100 degrees Fahrenheit or 38 degrees Celsius. 
whatever you do, don't use a heat lamp, a heat pad, or any other kind of direct heat onto the area, as rapid reheating of the tissue will increase the damage and pain. Once the area has thawed, you can gently apply a water-based wound treatment. While this is going on, and during the process of your chicken healing, you want to keep them isolated in a clean, warm facility and then keep a close eye on them. Use feeders and waterers that won't come into contact with the comb if the comb has been affected by frostbite. This will avoid additional injury to the area. For feet that have been affected, use soft, clean bedding material. And if necessary, you can wrap with vet wrap to keep everything as clean as possible. Now, the affected tissue will swell and it's going to be painful for your chicken. After the swelling subsides, the skin might begin to peel. It could be especially itchy or it could be very sensitive to cold for some time after. The wounded area could also scab over, it might blister and turn black as the skin dies. But eventually this dead skin will just slough off, leaving behind permanent disfigurement if the underlying tissue is involved. So if it's just a layer or two of skin that blackens and falls off, you probably won't notice a large change in the shape of the comb or the wattles. But if tissue underneath was damaged and eventually falls off, you will be looking at a permanent disfigurement. They will not regrow those parts of the comb and wattles again. Now, if it blisters, it is very important never to pop a blister and do not try and remove any black or dead tissue by yourself. Doing this will inhibit healing and it will prolong your recovery and it also increases the possibility of infection. And just as a random side note, I have never understood why so many people will pop their own blisters on purpose. Don't do it. Your body formed that blister to protect the damaged area. Don't pop it yourself. Leave it. Leave it alone. What's wrong with you people? Anyway, Keep a close eye on any area that's been affected um, because the biggest issue will be infection. And there's something which sounds absolutely horrible called wet gangrene. And this is a serious, even life-threatening complication of frostbite. Now, a clear sign of infection is a wound that isn't healing and is usually weeping a bad-smelling liquid. Without appropriate treatment, this infection can spread rapidly and it could even lead to sepsis. Overall, if you're in doubt at any point, call your avian vet. Let's talk about pain management now, because as I've mentioned many times, this is a very painful thing to happen to your chicken. And it's usually after the body part has thawed, when it's swollen and painful, that's usually when we notice it. it. It's more likely that a human will notice that swelling than actually see it when it's frozen. So we come out and we see that one of our chickens has this massively swollen comb. We also notice that this hypothetical chicken is listless or lethargic and a lack of appetite is very common. One of the most important things you can do is treat for pain. 
When a chicken is in pain, it won't want to eat. And the longer that chicken goes without eating, the harder it will be to get them to accept food. So it's important that we act quickly. Now you can treat for pain with a vet approved medication such as meloxicam or aspirin. Now, according to Gail Damaro in her book, The Chicken Health Handbook, the dosage needed when giving aspirin is 25 milligrams of aspirin per pound or half kilogram of body weight per day. So a five pound chicken would be treated with half of a standard 325 milligram aspirin tablet. And I'm going to have all this on my website, which will be in the episode description. So if you need to refer back to this at any point or you want to save that blog post for future reference, I will have it there for you. Now, in terms of getting this into them, you can pill your chicken directly, which is like much like with a dog where you just open things up and you push a tablet down their throat. But it's easier and much less stressful for your bird to dissolve aspirin in water. And you really want to make sure that it fully dissolves. So look for uncoated aspirin tablets. Gail Damaro also recommends dissolving five standard, so that's 325 milligram aspirin tablets in one gallon of fresh water. And then just offering this as the only source of water for the chicken. You can mix a fresh batch every day and treat for three days or until the chicken starts to perk up and regain their appetite. Now, one thing to note is that aspirin is hard on the kidneys. So be mindful with its application. It's not a daily long term approved treatment. So if you're getting on, you know, let's say seven days of aspirin and your chicken is still not improving, that's vet time. And for anyone out there who might be thinking, oh, great, I can use aspirin to treat. Maybe you have a chicken who has chronic pain like my sweet Agatha used to. No, aspirin is not approved for that kind of daily use. If you have a chicken with chronic pain due to, let's say, gout or arthritis or something like that, you need to speak to your avian vet about an appropriate pain medication and appropriate dosing instructions. So that's just a little heads up. Now, I went back and forth about this next section and I have decided to include it, but I'm going to have a little bit of a disclaimer. So this section is called dubbing and cropping. Now, dubbing is the amputation of a comb and cropping is the amputation of wattles. And this is a stressful and extremely painful procedure that should be done by a licensed veterinary professional. A vet will be using an anaesthetic for the actual cutting period as well as antibiotics. Now, in her book, Gail Damaro outlines how you can actually do this procedure yourself. Please, please, please do not attempt this unless you have absolutely no access to a vet. And I'm really only including this description because A, it's in the book. If you have access to the book, you can find it anyway. And B, because I do know that there are people, uh, particularly involved in homesteading and farming, who live in really isolated areas where avian vets aren't a thing. It's just impossible to find one. Same with exotic vets. So I'm going to include this information 
please, please, please use it responsibly. And just as a disclaimer, the following comes entirely from Gail Damero's book, The Chicken Health Handbook. So in her book, Gail Damero recommends that you're going to need to get some very sharp scissors specifically designed for the purpose of dubbing and cropping. And you can find those at most poultry supply companies. But there are also some alternatives you can use, which include six inch curved surgical scissors, small tin snips or leather craft scissors. Ideally, before performing this procedure, you will have someone to help you. Have them wrap the chicken in a towel to control the struggling and to hold them securely while you perform the cutting. You will disinfect the scissors and the area that needs to be removed with rubbing alcohol and then snip off the affected parts with decisive cuts, avoiding cutting into healthy tissue. It's recommended that you do not pull at the skin during the cutting, especially if you're dealing with wattles, because you might end up inadvertently cutting too much off this way. If bleeding occurs, apply a wound powder, such as um, McKillips, or sprinkle on some corn flour. If any blood has dripped into the chicken's nostrils during the procedure, use a cotton bud to clear them. Then treat this like any other wound. So you will monitor the area closely after the procedure and you will be keeping the chicken isolated somewhere warm and clean. To prevent infection, Damaro recommends injecting half cc of penicillin into the bird's breast muscle daily for 10 days. Or you can add one teaspoon of tetracycline or bactatracin per gallon or four litres of water for 10 days. So those are the easiest antibiotics that you can get um, at farm stores. The comb and the wattles should heal within about a month. Now toes rarely need to be amputated and in part because of this I'm sure Damaro doesn't include instructions on this procedure. I'm also going to assume that she doesn't include instructions because removing toes means removing bones and for the love of of the fluffy chicken gods, do not cut off any limbs of your chickens by yourself. That is 100% a vet-needed procedure. Now, Damaro does mention that chickens can adapt very readily to losing toes, although roosters might struggle to mate effectively. Uh, If you've ever seen a rooster mating a hen, you know that there's a whole lot of balancing involved, and balancing is hard to do when you're missing toes. Damaro also points out that chickens with any kind of missing parts, whether it's toes, comb, wattles, whatever, cannot be exhibited. I don't know if I have any listeners who exhibit chickens, but I thought that was interesting, so I threw it in. I just wanted to include here the progressive signs of frostbite to make it a little easier to identify it. So one of the earliest signs is pale grey or white tops of the comb or the edges of the wattles. Then we're looking at things like reddening of the feet or the toes, then subsequent swelling of the comb, wattles or toes, blistering within a day or two, and then blackening of the comb tips, edges of the wattles or patches on the feet and toes. And during almost every stage, there is a loss of appetite and a increased 
lethargy. So in terms of preventing frostbite, what are our options? Well, the easiest thing, honestly, is just to keep breeds that have very small combs, such as a cushion, rose, or walnut, which apparently I have a really hard time to say because that this is like my third edit <laughs> trying to say that word. Walnuts. Okay. And I'm, I have a comb guide that will be on my website um, in the blog post that goes along with this episode. Another thing that we can do is we need to provide roosts that allow the toes to be completely covered when the chicken is sitting and sleeping. And for that, you're looking at slightly rounded or flat, not like a perfectly circular bar. You want something where the toes aren't going to be exposed. Another recommendation is that you could place the roost closer to the coop ceiling as heat rises. And Demaro mentions in her book that you could also use a flat panel radiant heater that you actually attach to the ceiling so that the birds can get closer to it during roosting. But this does require that you check your space requirements because there's a certain amount of safe distance needed from the panel heater for your chickens. And you want to make sure that the roost bar isn't too close, but it's an option. Uh, Demaro points this out because she recommends that you don't heat the entire coop. Um, instead, let the chickens have a kind of heat source, whether it's a panel heater or some other form that they can get close to, but then move away from as they want. It's much like we do with reptiles. You don't want the whole tank at the basking temperature, but you do want an area that is especially hot for when they need to bask and then a cool side for when they need to cool down. So if you have a small uninsulated coop, which is honestly pretty much everyone that's made and sold in stores, um, especially the ones that are made of plastic, you're not going to have a lot of luck with that during a very, very cold weather. So it's probably better just to move that coop into an outbuilding, a barn or your garage. One good thing about a lot of these prefab coops is that they are very small, so they are easy to move inside somewhere. Humidity is the really big problem in winter because a high humidity inside a coop means that the coop gets wet. And this is bad news for your chicken's health. So we want to keep the bedding dry, protect doorways and windows from rain and snow, and then make sure the coop is properly ventilated. I know every time I talk about chicken keeping, I harp on about this, but it's really one of the most important parts is ventilation. And a good guide is that if you see condensation on your coop windows, then your coop is not properly ventilated. And I could I could write an essay on ventilation, but just remember that, you know, heat rises, you want air to be able to come in through the bottom, rise up and exit near the top. You also want to consider what kind of bedding you're using. Is it holding a lot of that wet droppings and urates or is it uh, staying dry? So Damaro points to two beddings in particular. 
one of which is using the deep litter method because that generates a slight warmth and because it's sort of naturally composting, it doesn't get too wet. She also recommends using deep sand because the very deep sand is going to hold the heat better. It also keeps things relatively dry and it's easy for you to see any waste on the surface and just scoop it out. Now, the coop will be drier in winter if your chickens don't spend all of their time in there. So encourage them to come outside by providing a windbreak and removing heavy snow from a safe run area. Uh, You could also offer a covered outdoor area and put down things like straw or shaving so that the ground is less wet and more comfortable for them. But that said, as much as you want to encourage them to come outside, ultimately let your chickens decide where they want to be. Um, If they really just don't want to come out, trust that they know that it's just too nasty and let them stay in. This last little segment that I wanted to do is about Vaseline, because if you Google chickens and frostbite, one of the first things that will come up is inevitably use Vaseline to prevent frostbite. And I wanted to know if that's true. So I looked into it a little bit and I found out that actually this recommendation is a little bit controversial. And the reason why is that coating the comb and wattles in Vaseline, which uh, just as a reminder is petroleum jelly, it can be helpful. So it can it can slow the dissipation of heat from the skin. It does insulate the comb from outside moisture and it freezes at a lower temperature than the cell fluid in the comb and wattles. However, if temperatures drop below freezing, so less than 32 degrees Fahrenheit or zero degrees Celsius, especially for a prolonged period of time, or even a short period, but with very aggressive winds, petroleum jelly will freeze. And that makes it completely useless for prevention. So if you live in an area where temperatures are going to drop below freezing for long periods of time, like where I am in Northeast Ohio, just save yourself the hassle and just don't bother applying Vaseline. It's it's really not going to make a difference. If, however, you live somewhere with a beautiful climate that only occasionally has cold temperatures that don't drop below freezing, you could apply Vaseline, but you're not going to see frostbite until it gets to a certain temperature anyway. So honestly, it just seems like a waste of time. Now, before I go, I wanted to just do a quick um, summary of what happened with Cracker and her frostbite. So we had this crazy wind chill right before Christmas. Uh, To give you an idea of how bad it was, on the sides of the house that was getting the worst of the wind, we had ice forming inside our windows and we actually put a space heater up near the windows to help uh, even out the temperatures in the house and try and get that ice to melt. This was a great opportunity for me as well to go around to all the windows and doors and see where I might need better like weather stripping. But anyway, so it was very, very bad. And Cracker suffered frostbite on her comb and her wattles, which 
isn't entirely surprising. Cracker has a very big showy comb, quite large wattles, and she won't snuggle with the girls. She holds herself separate from the other hens. And so I think she just couldn't keep warm enough. So when I found her, the swelling was really bad. And I was very concerned that she would lose between 50 to 80% of her comb. But apparently I intervened at the right time because actually everything healed beautifully. She never blistered. She never had any dead skin. And it actually looks like she's only lost the very, very tiny tips of her comb, which is excellent. So I feel very fortunate that she came through it so well. And I'm especially grateful that I had appropriate pain meds and antibiotics on hand my chicken and reptile supply shelf is rapidly turning into a mini pharmacy at this point, which is um, surprisingly useful, honestly. Now, my rooster Red probably suffered the most damage from frostbite this year, even though he never reached a critical point like Cracker. Cracker was very shocky. She would not eat. She was clearly in a lot of pain. She needed the intervention. Red, however, was comfortable out there. He maintained his body heat, but the tips of his comb were clearly damaged. Um, you can see now that it's it's scabbing up a little bit. It's going to start shedding soon and there should be fresh skin underneath. But again, he didn't seem in pain. He was active. He was eating. He was happy and he was snuggling up with the girls. I put pictures on my blog post of Cracker's comb after the frostbite and it looks like nothing happened. Um, And then also pictures of Red's comb where you can see some of the pale skin and scabbing. And then also um, a picture of one of my hens that has a very cute little comb. And thankfully, a lot of my hens have those small close to the head combs and that served them really really well during the bad weather it also helps that my orpingtons are like fluffy fluffy chickens so they just kind of snuggle together and their fluff helps keep everyone warm if i was a chicken i would get between the orpingtons and try and go under their body like a chick does because that would definitely keep you warm enough and that's how we got through it so I hope this was interesting and useful. Um, again, if you don't have it, you know, go out, get Gail Damero's book. It really is just invaluable. I use it all the time on this homestead. Um, I actually was talking to one of my husband's bosses and we were talking about chickens because of the egg shortage right now. And I was telling him about this necropsy I performed on Boo and and he asked me uh, where I w- trained and what my degree is in. I have a completely useless degree in religious studies and theology, which I told him. Um, so he asked me, well, how did you learn how to perform a necropsy? And I told him that I got it from a book um, and then I just practiced and now I'm pretty good at them. And I don't think this is uncommon for homesteaders and farmers. I think there's a lot of stuff that we learn to do ourselves. And Gail Damero's book has been instrumental for me in learning not just how to perform a necropsy, but really being able to dig into what's going on with my chickens health wise. And I've learned a lot. It's just invaluable. 
So that's it for this week's episode. I am going to try so hard to get my episode ready for next Friday, but there's a chance that I might have to skip a week or two. I have some travel coming up and that means a huge amount of prep and work here before I go, especially because I'm pretty sure I have four pregnant lizards right now. So I need to set up some birthing tanks just in case they decide to pop the minute I get on a plane. So I am going to try, but I can't promise anything. If I disappear for a week or two, don't panic. I'm not disappearing for a year like I did last time. I will be back. Um, I've already started working on my next episode. I'm doing a farm story and it's about fan favorite Higgins, my Russian tortoise. Uh, I will be sharing all about this cute little dinosaur, how he came to live with me, what kind of care tortoises need in general to be kept healthy and how all male tortoises are sex maniac. So listener discretion advised? I don't know, we'll see. Um, I will not make anything too explicit, but yes, we will be discussing the mating habits of at least the Russian tortoise and maybe a couple of others. So if that sounds like something you're interested in, I hope you will join me again next week or a couple of weeks, depending on how my travel situation goes. Thank you as always for listening and uh, following me. You can find me on Instagram. That's where I'm most active uh, under Homestead Hens and Honey. I do have a Facebook page. It's mostly just resharing my blog posts and my pictures from Instagram. And then my website, which I link in the episode description every time I post an episode where I do a rundown of everything discussed. I have photos, I have links to helpful websites or to references that I use. It's basically your one-stop shop for all kinds of info. So please check those out and I will return either next week or in three weeks. And until then, I hope you will hug your hands and then wash your hands. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.